Hi, this is Art Blog Radio, and this is Libby. And this is Roberta. Today we're speaking with Sandy Webster in her gallery called Sandy Webster Gallery on 20th and Walnut Street in Philadelphia. The gallery was established in 1966, we believe. We're going to hear a lot of stories about her artists and her gallery and what she sees as plans for the future. Sounds so. exciting. <laughs> I'd love to meet this woman. <laughs> so I get a sense that you have some ideas about what's fair and what's not fair and whether the art world is a fair place. Well, I would always wanted to, that the art world would be the fairest place. Certain times it is, but primarily it's like any other business and that's unfortunate. When we first went into business, I had um, gotten divorced and I was a physics major in college, but I had been home with my children for 10 years, so in order to go back into physics, I would have had to go back to school. And a friend of mine who was an art consultant said, you know, you've always been interested in art. Let's open a gallery. Well, that sounded like fun, didn't it? <laughs> a lot of fun. And it is, and I will tell you, if someone said to me today, you're 30 years old, you can do anything you want to do, this is what I want to do. But in the ensuing years from th that moment on, it's a lot of hard work, there's a lot of disappointments. I have a lot of stories. So my first and best, one of my best stories is I was in business about four months and Estelle Gross, who was a major gallery person, called to welcome me to the art community. How nice. And I felt so impressed. Yeah. <laughs> she said, but I hear you have black artists in your gallery. And I said, yes. Well, don't you know you can't do that? She said, well, if black people come in, white people will never come. I said, how dare you talk to me like that? You don't even know who I am. And, and I just, I said, I'm sorry, I can't carry on this conversation anymore. And I hung up and I was just shaking. And the artist that we originally opened the gallery with had been suggested by David Pease, who at that time was the dean of Tyler. And when we decided to go into the gallery business, I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. You know, Newman Gallery handled what he was doing really well. He didn't need anybody else to do the same thing. So I wanted to do something that was totally different, which was basically about non-representational art, which was not being shown a lot in Philadelphia. So I called David and I asked him to recommend some artists. And he got really excited and recommended maybe 30 different people from the last few years who had graduated. And among those people were several African-American, I don't want to call it African-American anymore, we're past that, several other black artists. Then I decided, well, I should go around to all the other galleries and see what's happening. And I went to all the other galleries, and indeed, there were like 30 to 40 galleries in Philadelphia even then, and there were two galleries that each had one black artist. Other than that, nothing. So who were the black artists in that initial group who you invited? Um, okay, so uh, James Brantley was one of the artists. Uh, Mo Brooker came a couple months later. Um, Andrew Turner, I found him in the park, you know, during one of the, the clothesline things. And I walked up to him and his work was so exciting. And I said, are you with the gallery? And he looked at me, this is a racist city, honey. What do you mean am I with the gallery? <laughs> I said, well, you are now. And, and of course the rest about Andrew Turner is history. Uh, Charles Searles. So we had like maybe eight or ten black artists to start with. Were Carol, <laughs> Carolyn Hayward who made the food stuff, she was one of the original artists. Sid Carpenter, the clay, who now we have a piece that's being considered by the Smithsonian for the permanent collection. Excellent. You know, nya, 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 nya. 
So people kept saying to me, oh, it's so wonderful what you're doing. And I say, stop right there, because they were talking about affirmative action. I said, this is not affirmative action. But was your mix at the beginning all black artists? No. So you had a mix. Yes, it was about good art. I didn't yeah. care the color of the person who made it. So it, it was, was about the art. And it about was, selling the art. It was, no, well, not necessarily. not necessarily. It was about good art. I didn't know what was going to sell and what would not sell. And that's why in the, from the very beginning we were doing framing, because we needed to do something to pay the rent, and because everything we had in the beginning was non-representational, basically. So was it true that white people would never buy black people's art? That was a bunch of baloney. That was the most ridiculous. People buy artwork. If it's right. good, they buy. And do you know, the hottest thing today in the art world is work by black artists. This is true. It was so underpriced for so long. It's still underpriced, mm -hmm. but it was even worse. There, there's an auction house, Swan Auction House. Three years ago, they would not even look at a work of art by black artists. Today, they have a black art department. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because it makes a lot of money. An artist that we represent, Al Loving, who passed. Uh, we still have work for his for like maybe fifteen, twenty-five, thirty-five thousand dollars. They sold the piece last year for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. One of his, you know, very special paintings. Sam Gilliam sells for one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. There's a whole Richard Hunt. I mean, there's a whole lot of Romare Beard and Jacob Lawrence. All of them are selling in the hundreds of thousands of dollars now. And what about? Bringing in new artists into the into okay. your well, gallery, yeah, into what we do, galleries. you have to bring in new artists. First of all, the artists that we had early on, like Mo Brooker, who's like a painting like that would have been $3,000, and now it's $20,000. Well, not everybody can afford $20,000. And what I think the wonderful thing about artwork is if you buy a suit, if he goes out to buy a suit, and he looks at a suit for $200 and a suit for $2,000, you can tell the difference immediately. The quality of the fabric, the way it's tailored, the cut. When you look at artwork, you can't tell that this is $5,000 and this is $2,000 and that's $20,000. Why? You have to trust the person that's selling it to you and, and rely on them that it has to do with where they are in their career, where the collections that they're in, the awards that they've won, all of that determines where they price their artwork. The quality remains the same. So a, a young person out of the academy or more or University of the Arts, whatever, can do wonderful, wonderful work, but because nobody knows who they are, it's still very modestly priced. So we're always looking for new artists. Do people pass along people to you? Oh, yes. The worst thing you can come and say, though, is, I have an artist sells everything he makes. I ain't interested in anybody that sells everything he makes. I couldn't even sell everything I made. <laughs> so, Sam, did you collect from among your artists? Oh, of course. In <laughs> fact, in fact, Woodmere Museum was supposed to have a show for the gallery in, um, I guess it was April, May. But they don't have a new director yet, and they're really floundering, so they asked if we could postpone it. But one of the things they were going to do was to have pieces from my collection. I guess when James and I were together about 10 years, he said, you have to get a new winter coat. You're wearing the same coat that you wore since I met you, and I think it's time for a new one. I said, okay, and I started putting money away for a new coat, and then we had a sculpture show, and there was a piece of sculpture that I desperately needed to have, because there was a space in my house about three inches wide that wasn't covered with art. <laughs> and I said to the artist, is it okay if I pay it out? And he said, sure. 
So I took the money that I had saved so far for the coat and I gave it to him as a down payment. And then I took the coat and I put different buttons and a belt and a little collar on it. So the winter came and I put the coat on and James looked at me and he said, you must think I'm really stupid. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Um, before we started recording, you started talking about the difference between artists and picture makers. Yes. And I would like you to um, Absolutely. explain that. Absolutely. A picture maker is someone who has a show and you will come in and you'll say, oh, I really love that painting, but the purple jacket and the green pants won't work in my living room. Do you think you could do that with a blue jacket and brown pants? Oh, I'll have it for you tomorrow. That's a picture maker. An artist is someone who says, well, that was where my imagination and drew me then. Now, I have other things that I will make in the future I would be happy to show you, but I can't guarantee that anything will be what you say. And it, it has to do with the integrity of what they do. I don't want it to match the couch. If a couple comes in and he says, I love this, and she says, I love that, they look for something they both like, I say, I'm not going to sell you anything that you just like. Either she gets what she loves, you get what you love, or you wait until you find something that you both love. But you'll lose the sale, but it isn't about that. It's about developing a client. My favorite story of all time was someone called me and said he had a friend who worked for the telephone company and he was getting transferred from Washington to New York and he went to New York into the galleries. He was black and nobody paid any attention to him. So he and his fiance were coming to the gallery. So he and his fiance came to the gallery and in two hours they chose 30 pieces of art. We take it to their apartment in uh, Tribeca, and I say to them, you can't buy all this. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you chose all of this in two hours. So if you pay for all of this now, they're guaranteed that there'll be pieces that a couple of months or a couple of weeks from now, you say, you know, I like that, but I don't really love it enough to own it. So I want you to choose the things that really, really are in your heart and I'll hold the others for a month or so and if it still gnaws at you we can bring it back and he said do you mean if I gave you a check for everything you wouldn't take it I said no I don't want to take it I said I'm not looking for a customer I'm looking for a client I'm looking for someone who trusts me and they looked at each other <laughs> they couldn't believe it so that's what they did and they bought maybe 20 things of the 30 some and then they called him for about four or five more and it turned out that his name was Bruce Gordon and he was the CEO of Verizon. Then afterwards when they really started to collect work that went cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that I didn't really sell, I would make a connection and go with them to choose the artwork. And in fact they wanted a um, Norman Lewis and I, he was gone and I connected with his daughter and I said, look, whatever commission that you would give me, I want you to reduce the price by that because they've been very, very special to me. And she looked at me, what are you talking about? They're going to buy something that would be one hundred and fifty dollars or $200,000. Do you know how much you could make? I said, yeah, but I don't care. So how do you stay in business, Sandy? <laughs> I don't take a salary. <laughs> well, first of all, up until the, the last two years, it's been, we have an architect who was working with basketball players. He came to talk to me, didn't tell me who he was or what he was doing. And after he finished talking to me, he said, yes, I can trust you. I said, what are you talking about? 
He introduced himself. He said, I have five basketball players. I'm doing their homes all over the country. They need artwork. And I know that you won't take a $5,000 painting and make a $10,000 because of who they are. Nor will you say that a $10,000 painting looks better than a $5,000 painting if the $2,000 painting looks best. And that's what I need. I need somebody that I can trust. Square deal Sandy. <laughs> oh, how corny. So Sandy, 10 years from now, are you going to be thinking of retiring? No, if I'm still alive. Well, James wanted me to retire and I said, what am I going to do, come home and bicker with you all day? No, I, I love what I do. And, and the wonderful thing about it, I don't understand why people go live in retirement com communities where everybody is old and crotchety. I'm with young people all day. I look at them, I think I'm 35. Okay, maybe 50. But when I tell people how old I really am, they say, oh, no, you're not. I say, yeah, I am. How old are you really? I wouldn't say that into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so are you happy? Yes. You look happy. When we talk to the artists, when they come in, I'll say, I really love your work, and these are all the positive things about it. I can't promise you, even if we have a show, that we're going to sell anything the first time because people may not understand what you're doing right now. But my experience has been that the more people see the work, the more they learn to relate to it, and then eventually you sell it. And who knows what can happen? I mean, we have the art museum comes, the Smithsonian. When Sid Carpenter had her show, she's a ceramic person. She teaches at uh, Swarthmore University. We sent discs to four or five different uh, museums. And Smithsonian came, looked, asked for a piece, it's there, they'll probably buy it. I mean, what could be more thrilling than that? We're talking to Sandy Webster in Sandy Webster Gallery in Philadelphia. And thank you so much for talking with us, Sandy. It was my complete pleasure, thank you. Artblog Radio was produced in Philadelphia by theartblog.org. Thanks to the Knight Foundation for supporting this project. And thanks to our editor, Peter Crimmins, for making us sound good, and to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download our podcast from the radio page of the art blog.